Welcome to Connections. I'm Mike Tom with Colleen Hood. Today's guest discovered hope in the darkness of danger and isolation. She found out that freedom from abuse is possible. Zoe Nicholas's mother was a drug addict, alcoholic, and physically and verbally abusive to her daughter. There were also several men who came in and out of her mother's life who abused Zoe as well. Today she'll share how she survived and overcame this tragic abuse. Zoe Nicholas has written a book called Driving in the Dark, a Childhood Memoir. Now, Zoe, tell us a little bit about your childhood before we start talking about the book. It sounds like you're a survivor of some, uh, well, pretty difficult childhood. Yes, it, uh, it was, um, it was, uh, <laughs> unbelievably bad. But, uh, the reason I, I wrote that book was that I, in 2004, I had a, a breakdown. And I couldn't remember anything from day to day. I lost four good jobs in rapid succession. And the surgeon I was working with, she said that she thought I had a memory issue. So I went to the doctor and I went under a battery of tests. And they said I had clinical, uh, classic, um, clinical major depression and memory failure. And my doctor at the time said that I would never get my functional daily memory back unless I faced what I experienced as a child and write it down. Get it out. I wrote for two years, then sat on it because I didn't know what to do. And then my uh, adopted father, he was passing, and I promised him on his deathbed that I would finish the book. And uh, that was in 2013, uh, and it took me two years with the help of a wonderful uh, writer instructor, Janice Harper, Ph.D., and uh, and we published the first uh, ed- um, edition in uh, 2015, and then I did a, a revamp in 2017. And uh, what it is is that... Um, I managed to survive childhood abuse that was um, horrific. I managed to get myself adopted at 18 oh, as wow. a foster child from 13. At 18, I was adopted by the family that loved me, and I went graduated from college, married my college sweetheart, and uh, had a wonderful life, been married for 44 years. So I, I broke the... Uh, I broke the the usual uh, mo for a uh, for a child with a horrific upbringing. My mother was a barbiturate addict and an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. My mother was married seven times, and the last uh, two are the ones that I remember most. And um, we had uh, uh, psychological, physical, sexual abuse, and. Um, uh, you know, so it was it was pretty bad. But once I wrote down everything that happened to me, I got my memory back, and now I'm able to go back to theater, which is my first love, and I can remember scripts. <laughs> so, you know, it really helped uh, that I got it out. How did you deal with all of this? This is not stuff that a normal child will have to deal with. Right. Well, I was, I've always been incredibly lucky. I, um, things went, uh, downhill when I lived in West Seattle near Alki Beach. And, uh, I was, um, uh, I made friends with a, a little girl a year older than I. And we just hit it off like nobody's business. And she took me to see her family, which I thought, 
immediately, this is the Aussie and Harriet. This is the Leave it to Beaver. This is the family that I want to, you know, emulate. And so uh, I just kind of stuck around like a burr. I would show up early in the morning, and I wouldn't leave until (laughs) uh, late at night. And, um, And finally, when my mother tried to commit suicide and I had to bring in the authorities to, to save her life. Um, the court finally uh, at 8 put me with a foster family. That happened again at 11 and finally again at 13. And at 13, I spent two and a half months in the Seattle Youth Center fighting in court to be um, uh, taken away from my biological mother and placed in foster care. And um, my family that took me in when I was eight took me in when I was 13. And uh, so I am really the luckiest person you will ever meet because I, I, I knew that the life that I was living was crazy, but I could see people in the neighborhood who had, I thought, normal lives, and I wanted to be like them. And uh, so that's that's kind of the motivation I had, and I just I told mom, "Don't worry, I absorb families." And she said, "Oh yeah, I'm scared." <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more about that family that that took you in and that loved you. Oh, I, I, the Dimmicks, uh, Herb and Margaret Dimmick. They're all uh, they're past now. Uh, uh, Herb was the um, pastor at Alki Congregational Church where I went to church, and um, talk about coincidences. This particular pastor was the pastor that did a funeral for my family because my sisters um, in. And she was engaged. He died. He drowned in um, um, Puget Sound. And uh, and the pastor who did the service was Herb Dimmick. And so I recognized him from the earlier f- funeral. And um, and Margaret was uh, at home. Um, <laughs> actually, she was a poet, but she was at home with her kids. And uh, they just, for whatever reason loved me from the get-go, and um, I was a handful. Mom was, a, by training, a social worker, so she kept very good notes about the year I lived with them. I, I was troubled. I had a lot of uh, issues. Um, I, I was very skinny. I didn't eat until puberty. Um, <laughs> and uh, I walked in my sleep, and I was sick a lot, Uh so, you know, I was working through all these things, but the court, in its wisdom, ha-ha, at nine put me back with my mother because they said, oh, she's healed now. She's not an addict anymore. And that lasted until I was 11, and they took me out. The police took me out of the house and put me with a different foster family, but that didn't work very long. The court said she was fine again, put me back, and that lasted till I was 13 when I went to the school counselor and I said, I can't do this anymore. I need help. And at first she didn't believe me, but then she called the police, and my mom had a huge rap sheet. Um, And so she called in the police. They came and got me at school, and I spent two and a half months in the Seattle Youth Center where they keep juvenile delinquents, but the bars on on the windows were to keep her away from me 
I didn't mind that. So that's that's kind of like how it all worked. I just knew what I, I what I had was wrong, and I knew what I wanted, and so I just kept heading in that direction. And they loved me, my folks. I just I can't tell you how much I loved the Dimmicks, and my, I'm still in contact with my sister Marty up in uh, Bellingham, Washington, and my uh, brother Lawrence and his family in Carnation, Washington, and my big brother John, who is a Ph.D. Uh, doctor at in uh, Buffalo. Uh, and uh, I love them, and I'm just so lucky, and I'm so glad I got my functional memory back. Um, I wanted to stop the cycle of craziness in my biological family. I wanted it to stop with me. And so when I had my son, I was very, very careful about not doing the same crapola that I was exposed to. And, uh, and, and he's grown up to be a wonderful father and a husband and a, um, a great person. So I figure, you know, hey, I did it okay. When the doctors told you that uh, your memory problems, they weren't like physical, but they were more emotional, I guess, and that you needed to face the hurt and trauma of your past, what, what did you think? I thought I was a goner <laughs> when I first uh, got that uh, idea. She said, you have to write it down. You have to look at it. And I had been happily living my life like, oh, my life started at 13. I don't really have to look at all that. Um, and But then when I just started with the first mental picture, I think in terms of scenes, because I have a theatrical background, I think in terms of a picture of what happened. And I just wrote... Um, the, uh, little uh, scenes all the way through until I got all the ugly uglies down on paper and could look at it. And yes, it was an emotional thing. Um, I have an emotional problem, but it uh, vibrates through my body. You know, uh, the mind-body connection. So that's that's what happens. Uh, if it's if it's in my soul and it's hurting, it's going to manifest itself in musculoskeletal issues, um, GI issues. I have GERD. I have arthritis. I have mus- musculoskeletal issues. Um, this is all the body's response to that early, early trauma. And what's really neat now is that I get to work with Oregon's Boys and Girls Aid Society where I write the articles about how this association of wonderful people get together to save kids in Oregon. And I write the articles from a foster kid's viewpoint. It's so cool. These people never read stuff like that before. So anyway, that was just an aside, but um, yes, it 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 is emotional problem, an, an emotional and psychological problem that manifests in the body, and now I'm so much better. So foster kid at age thirteen, you go back into this loving home, adopted at eighteen. I think a, a lot of people are kind. I don't know what the right term is, but maybe scared of older foster kids, right? Like, oh yes, I know that, and that just breaks my heart. I am an advocate for older children adoption. They they need love just as much as the little little ones, and and guidance even more so. And uh, but the folks knew me from you know from years before, and they were especially loving, open 
people. My mom and dad were very unique. I'm wondering, as a young person, and you mentioned uh, this uh, gentleman was a pastor, right, and stuff, mm-hmm. and you're sitting mm-hmm. in church. What did it feel like sitting in church and your life is in turmoil? What What was your faith like? I held on to it like um, a pit bull but hold on to a bone. <laughs> I, I, it was the only thing that, that calmed my mind or made me feel uh, better. And so I would go to church and I would pray that the good Lord would save me from all this stuff that my mom always did to me. Um, and that's the only thing I had, and I, so I, I, I stuck it out at church and just, you know, I was like a piece of furniture. They had to acknowledge me. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was always underfoot. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, it was the only comfort I could get. You said despite all that you went through, you clung to your faith in the midst of it all. Yes, it, it was, um, it's, uh, I know nowadays that thing is kind of, you know, oh, that's just bunk, you know. But I had to hold on to that for my life. Uh, and still, I think I was a be- I had more faith when I was a child. Um, but the thing is, is that uh, when my mom tried to kill herself, and I had to call the authorities, and they, they put her in jail, and they put me in jail because there was no place to put me, but they left the door open because I was, you know, scared of the dark. When when that happened, um, I ended up in the youth center because my stepfather didn't want me anymore. And I was in a, a huge room with a bunch of other girls in cots, and I was so afraid, and I was crying, and I uh, that, you know, I hadn't done anything wrong, but here I am in this place, and I'm scared. And... Uh, and I heard a voice, and the voice said to me, Don't worry, Mary Zoe, I love you. And I looked around, there wasn't a soul saying, no one was talking to me. And then I just, in any time I had a major fright or, or a crisis, I heard a voice in my head, and I acted on that voice. And it gave me a more concrete feeling that God, yes, was taking care of me. And it's happened throughout my life. I know that sounds strange, but it it is true. I'm speaking truth. For people that have maybe suffered abuse in their past and very traumatic experiences, and they feel like they are hopeless and they're never going to move on and be healed and break the cycle, what do you say to that person listening today? Don't lose hope. Please don't lose hope. Um, you're worth it. Don't believe the bad things that the people tell you that you are. If I can make it with my background and <laughs> my puny resources and all, you can make it. Um, in fact, um, my book uh, was a gentleman in, in Canada, over on the east side of Canada, um, it is a... Um, a therapist, and he was also um, an associate of Janice Harper, my uh, co-author, and she 
and he, they shared my book, and he uses my book for his clients um, because it, it showed a way to get out. And I wasn't crushed. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's a story of, of survival. And um, I was tenacious. And they can be tenacious, too. I mean, God takes care of us. So, anyway... That's that's all I can think of for your a response. For those who want to learn more about you or find your book, how can they go about doing that? So, you can get it on Amazon, and I did a. Um, uh, uh, I can talk really. Um, <laughs> a narrated book for uh, for Audible, <laughs> and and um, then I I wrote a play. I wrote I made the book into a play, a one woman show. And that's on YouTube, and it's uh, Beyond the Dark with Zoe Nicholas. And I, it's an hour-and-a-half show, and I'm just doing all the characters. I play my, my mother, Zodi, my stepfather, my caseworker, Mr. and Mrs. Demick, myself, my sister. And, and um, that was the first time in my whole life as a, th- uh, as a thespian where the audience didn't rustle. They didn't cough. Mm. They were right there, right there with me. And together, we I showed them what it's like to be a foster child abused and come out of it. And they were just right in my hand. It was a wonderful experience. Um, and it, it, it really helped. It touched a lot of people. You'd be amazed how many people have rough upbringing. So they come up to me after I speak and they say, I want what you have. I want the, the uh, mental and emotional calm that you have. And so I will write down what happened to me and I'll tell my, uh, my husband or my grown children what happened to me so I can get free of this. And that's happened to me repeatedly. It's it's amazing how many people are hurt out there. Uh, it's a really encouraging conversation and hoping you can find the same freedom that Zoe has found. Remember, if you want to listen to the entire conversation again, you can always listen on your radio station's website. We'll talk to you again on Connections.